Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. (laughs) And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hi everyone, just us at the top of the show to tell you that the Melbourne International Comedy Festival starts in just two weeks. What? <laughs> We're I doing... have to start writing my show. We're performing what? <laughs> uh, in just two and a half weeks, uh, you can see Jess and Matt do full runs, which means three and a half weeks of their shows. Jess, your show is called... Almost. It's on at 6pm at the Greek Centre, 5pm on Sundays. You can get tickets at comedyfestival.com.au. And Matt? Monkey House. And it's on in Brisbane from the 10th, which is yesterday, I think, till the 15th. Then in Melbourne for the full run. And then in Sydney, late April for only four nights. And you can get tickets via mattstuartcomedy.com slash gigs. Just go to mattstuartcomedy.com and there's a button right there. Dave always makes fun of me for that. And I, <laughs> I've gotten the rhythm. I can't stop saying it. And if you use the discount code podcast for mine or Jess's shows, you get 20% off. So cheap. You should definitely do it. And you can use that code because we are doing live podcasts at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival starting uh, on Sunday, March 28th. Saturday, Saturday, March 28th, pardon me. And the three Saturdays after that, 2 o'clock at the European Beer Cafe. Tickets are on sale now. And the first two are very close to being sold out. Yes. So come on down. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, awesome. Uh, again, tickets at comedyfestival.com.au. I have links to all the shows in the description of this episode. Comedy, how good is it? Real good. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and I'm sitting here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins who put a hand out to hold my hand and then pulled it away when I went in for it. Is that why you said Matt's name first? Yeah, he's never rejected my hand. <laughs> Matt, come on. Straight in oh, like that. Yeah, all right. Enjoyed dying of coronavirus. Yeah, man. did feel warm and um, sort of coronary. Yeah. Have I ever told you about the first time I um, went to a friend's house and it was a girl's no. house in primary uh, high school and I met her dad and he, I shook his hand and I had no idea what he meant. He said, oh, a little clammy. And I did not know what that meant. So I said, thank you. <laughs> 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 that's well, very cute. You have not changed because your shake was still a little. Yeah, funny. that's what made me think about that. Yeah, so I've had coronavirus since I was the age of thirteen. So, <laughs> what was the dad getting at? He's just why was he trying to make you uncomfortable? I think he was trying to. He was one of those trying to make uh, you know me nervous, and he didn't succeed because I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. Can I have he another? Must have, he, he won. You won his respect. Oh, this guy's good. <laughs> Thank you. He takes everything as a compliment. This guy has a lot of self-belief. Love that. Hey, Dave, explain. What's this show again? This show? Well, it's a little clammy. That's what it is. No, it's a, <laughs> That's probably fair. Yeah, it's a podcast where we take it in turns to report on a topic usually suggested by a listener. And it is uh, my turn to report on a topic this week. And to get us onto that topic, I ask you a question. I love questions. Here we go. My question for both of you is because you don't know what I've reported on. What is the most visited paid monument in the world? What counts as a monument? The Eiffel Tower? What counts as paid? The Eiffel Tower does count, and that is the correct answer. Oh! Oh! (laughs) Well done. Nailed it. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking all about the Eiffel Tower. Wow, that's cool. Because we just just recorded a bonus episode, and there was a mention of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, and I was hoping that no one was... No wonder your hands are clammy. (laughs) I was really hoping none of you were going to go, yeah, that'll be a boring topic to talk about. Well, That'd the, be a weird comment for us to make, but I wouldn't put it past us. I, I, I'm, I'm loving this as an idea because I know vaguely that it was not intended to be up there forever and it was um, it was only meant to be up for a brief amount of time and that people hated it for a while. So I want to know. Spoilers. I want this story fleshed out in my brain or even to find out that those things are not true. I, I was in a similar boat with this because have we all seen the tower? Yeah. thought we would have, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also it's so famous, but I didn't know that much about it. Despite, you know, if you Google famous buildings, oh, it comes up. And what I did this week was I put three famous structures. Cool. I put a statue and a bridge, won't spoil which ones, up for the vote of the Patreon. Lady Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And, um, and the Ponte Vecchio. Yes. The oh. most famous bridge. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful bridge it is. And um, the Patreon supporters voted for the Eiffel Tower, but only just. Ooh. Just pipped them. And uh, it's only been suggested by one person. And that is Tom from England. And you can write when he suggests a topic. And there's a link in the description if you want to do that. Anyone can do that. And Tom from England says, why? He just writes in capital letters, because Dave said it. I don't know what that means, Tom, but good on you. <laughs> you must have, I guess you said at some point that it would make a good topic. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well done, Tom. And Tom was right. Well and so Dave. was I. Because <laughs> here it is. Wow. Full circle. So, Jess, do you know, Matt just alluded to a bit of the story there, but do you know much about it? Um, I know that um, I think it wasn't supposed to be there for long <laughs> okay. um, originally, and um, people hated it. God, I wish that was so wrong. Sadly, it is true, but uh, it would be great if you were you were I'm trying to, <laughs> interpreting Matt there being wrong. <laughs> I'm trying to put my finger on the name who Eiffel was named. It was a man, wasn't it? Gary no, it's Eiffel a band. or something. Oh, band. Eiffel <laughs> yeah. 64. Yeah. 
I'm blue, I'm named after them. Has anyone done a cover band of them yet called Eiffel 69? That would be Eiffel 69. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It's not going to get better than that. Are we doing it? Are we going to do it? Are we going to do the band? Yeah. Eiffel 69. My balls are blue. Great. Well, that's all our right, first hit. <laughs> They're all different, slightly different versions of that song. <laughs> I'm working blue, dabba dee dabba die, which means uh, you, smutty. You work exclusively blue. I do work very blue. <laughs> Come gone... see me at the comedy festival. I work blue. Wow, it is I so say, racy. I'm, I'll work in a fuck there somewhere. <laughs> You Dad, say, can you bleep that out? <laughs> I'll work in a fart. Yeah, I didn't like it. You say <laughs> things that other people are too scared to say. <laughs> yeah, like I'll work in a fart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I exclusively work in fuck. <laughs> All right, let's go. The world's first world's fair, then known as the Great Exhibition. The world's first world fair. I mean, I, I have gone off script early. <laughs> <laughs> the first world's fair, then known as the... And technically... A true fact was just stated. Yeah, but uh, grammatically it was a uh, nightmare. Un- sorry, the universe's <laughs> first World's Fair, uh, then that known know as the uh, Great Exhibition, took place in London in 1851. The idea of the fair was to celebrate industry, commerce and the arts. Ugh. You might have... Uh, no, Why a- do we need a fucking fair for industry and commerce? Oh, you're happy for the arts, though. Of course. <laughs> I live for arts fairs. Uh, you might have heard of the famous Crystal Palace in London. The soccer team. Yeah, well, named after that palace, absolutely. The Chinese which, restaurant. Which came first? It's a real chicken and the egg. No one yeah, knows if no it's the knows. soccer team or the building that came first. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, it sadly later burnt down. A crystal palace. Yeah, no, can you believe I thought it could burn. No longer there. But a lot of the things built for the uh, great exhibitions or the world's fairs would s- mysteriously burn down. Interesting. Oh. Uh, but it was originally erected to be the pavilion for people <laughs> to exhibit their trades. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hashtag nays. Erected. So the world's first World's Fair was a big success, a world's first. And uh, so every few years after that, more World's Fairs or World Expos, sometimes called, were put on. Paris had the second one. Then it went to Vienna, Philadelphia. We even had one in Australia in 1851. Both Sydney and Melbourne, uh, a rivalry as old as time itself, Mm. competed to get the fair. And Uh, and instead they had it in Dubbo. (laughs) Well, Sydney struck first and put on the Sydney International Exhibition in 1879, but it mainly focused on agriculture and therefore wasn't officially recognised by the BIE, which we all know is the Bureau of International BIE. Exhibitions. <laughs> That's what I say when I'm having a good time. BIE! That's what I say on roller coasters. <laughs> BIE! <laughs> uh, of course, you are referencing the Bureau of International Exhibitions. Uh, they didn't recognise the Sydney. They said that doesn't count. Sucked in Sydney. So Melbourne was quick to capitalise on this and they put together an official World's Fair in record time. Because uh, it's the best city anyway. <laughs> nah, Sydney is probably very good. This- I should visit... Actually, come see me at the Sydney Comedy Festival. <laughs> the Sydney-Melbourne rivalry goes one way. Like, Melbourne just feels inferior. I, who in Melbourne cares? No. no. It doesn't exist at all. It's Which so way does weird. it go, do It's you like think? Melbourne has an inferiority complex do with Sydney. Sydney don't care. Melbourne doesn't care. Who in Melbourne talks about it? I reckon there was definitely a thing when I was growing up. Yeah, right. Like, oh, bloody Sydney. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it apart from uh, talking about how no one talks about it. Right. I'm talking about it going back to 1879 here. Right, okay. Sorry. No, yeah, this is definitely true. It's definitely a real thing. 
the rivalry. But yeah, do you? I don't ever think of it. I just think of Sydney as like it's like very similar to Melbourne, only a bit prettier with better weather. Much better weather. And it's a, a lovely place. Beautiful bay. It's just a nightmare to get anywhere. I, yeah, oh, the, yeah. That's the the one uh, thing that people talk about. It's slightly more expensive, and the road system's confusing. Lots of one way streets. But pu- but their public transport's better. Yeah, the train's great. And they've it's got more sunshine, better beaches. You can get a train from the airport. Imagine. And they're like similarly strong comedy scenes, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know anyone who gives a shit about it. I fucking love that bridge. I've, really, I've talked oh, about it many times. So really, re- that actually came third in the vote. I'm afraid. I'm obsessed with that bridge. And um, which I'm hoping to get to the Sydney Harbour Bridge one day because actually I was looking into it. That's a pretty funny story. But Does anyway, it? you haven't got there yet. Have not got there. Uh, but you're you're ruining my point here of Melbourne now. Yeah, oh, oh, Sydney. No, no, yeah. Those, oh. dogs, those, dogs those dogs up there. And they bloody staple it to town. Them, if that's a phrase, stapling something to someone. Um, so Sydney really lipped it, didn't they, Dave? Well, Sydney put on a shit fair, basically, and Melbourne put on a slightly better one, which was recognised as the 1880 World's Fair, which also attracted... Um, By the EIE. Uh, the BIE. It's what... Basically, Melbourne said, well, that's not going to be recognised. We'll just put one on slightly later. And everyone that was part of the exhibition in 1879 just went to Melbourne as well. Ah. So, um, a road trip. Our beautiful Royal Exhibition Building in Carlton Gardens was built to host the event. Oh, oh that's, that's, lovely. that's what it's for, yeah. That's a great building. Yeah, it's uh, World Heritage listed. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Paris, however, was given their fourth go at a World Expo in 1889. But this time, it meant even more to the people of France. Every year, the expo had a theme, previous themes being stuff like industry of all nations, agriculture, industry and arts, industry and arts, <laughs> and new technologies. Oh. But then in 1889, uh, France decided to shake things up a bit and went with the theme of the French Revolution. <laughs> Interesting. Slightly okay. more out there yeah. than uh, industry and arts. So 1889 was celebrating 100 years since the storming of the Bastille Prison, seen by many as a major event in starting the French Revolution that saw a revolt against the monarchy. But because this celebrated the overthrow of the French monarchy, something that the French were extremely proud of, a lot of European countries still had monarchies at the time, so they officially boycotted the exposition. Oh. Because they're like, we love our monarchy. Uh, Including uh, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Belgium, Spain, Great Britain, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal, Russia and Sweden all said you should not celebrate overthrowing monarchies. Oh. But it was a hundred years ago. Yeah. By this point, right? So like stop being so precious the rest they of the They were you. very precious. But wait so wait, which monarchy was overthrown a hundred years ago? No, a hundred years before the eighteen eighty nine exhibition. So the French Revolution right, overthrew yes. the monarchy and then a hundred years later there was because France are very proud of it. Their national anthem is all about rising up against people that are enslaving you, basically. Yeah. And um, they were like, great, it's 100 years, let's celebrate. And other monarchies were like, oh, no, we still have a king and queen. We do not want to be involved. You're right. Yes. But this didn't stop 61,000 people flocking to Paris to exhibit their industry, commerce, and the arts. 61,000, huh? So it's going to be a big one. And that's Can just... a thousand of you stay home, please? <laughs> it's actually 61,722, but I just rounded down. Couldn't you have rounded Round up? up. 62. 100,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just people putting on the exhibits. Oh, okay. So, so there are more people. people. With, Whoa. People with 61,000 people put on yeah. exhibits. Put like, Holy shit. <laughs> that's how big these things are. Holy shit. And they're showing off inventions of all sorts, different types of uh, music and art. Yeah, it's massive. You know, I in my old job, uh, selling air conditioning. I used to, t- twice a year, we'd do their home expos. And I reckon there would have been like 
couple hundred people putting on exercises mm. and you have a little hut. So I'd just sit in this little thing in the the new exhibition. What the old one's exhibition building and the new one's exhibition center. Yeah. I'd be in there and you just sit there and people would come and go, think about putting air conditioning in my place. Tell me about it. I go, All right. Well it's a it's a broad place to start, but uh <laughs> it can cool and heat your home. Uh any questions? <laughs> it was real fun, and um, I, I miss it a lot. <laughs> so Paris knew all eyes would be on it for the expo. Yeah, right. They wanted more than ever to make a mark on the world. It's celebrating 100 years of their country, basically. The idea of a 300-metre tower had been circulating in Europe and the USA at the time. Circulating. Everyone's they, passing around with a note. Psst, psst, psst. Yeah, what do you reckon? Idea of a tower. Psst, 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 psst. Pass it on. <laughs> And France saw this. A really big tower. Really big. It's Why the fuck big. have you written this down? I don't care. <laughs> it just says really big tower and they've underlined it twice. Yeah, you go, okay. Pass it on. No, to who? <laughs> but it ends up that it gets all muddled. Really big power. Power bird. <laughs> Let's make a real big bird. 300 meter power bird. <laughs> 300 kilometer power bird. You know what power birds do? They collect things that are blue. da ba dee da ba da da ba dee da Please oh. do go on, please, please. <laughs> so, so France saw this as a ticket to impressing their visitors, a 300-metre tower. <laughs> if it was achieved, it would be almost double the height of the world's tallest structure at the time. Oh, wow. So it's like if you take the Burj Khalifa, the currently the world's biggest building, which is over 700 metres tall now, usually things go up by a bit at a time. But imagine someone just suddenly yeah. went, no, nah, I'm going to double it. Yeah, I'm going to double wild. it. Uh, the Washington Monument was the tallest at the time. It had been completed in 1885. Is that the obsolisk? Yes. Or whatever. The, yeah. <laughs> the two-tone obsolisk. But it, it, I love the idea of you said the way you word it was France was hoping that they would impress their visitors. I'm just picturing like all of France sort of like meekly standing next to <laughs> going, Sort of huh? pointing up to it with their eyes going, huh? What do you reckon? Huh? Hey? Huh? No, huh? There's like thousands of people coming through, huh? What pretty do you big. Think of that? Pretty big. Pretty big. Pretty big uh, little thing. I reckon, we I reckon we've nailed the brief. <laughs> it just says big tower underlined twice, huh? Tapping in. Huh? We did it. Huh? Uh, the World's Fair would go on to be the catalyst for a number of famous buildings and structures. The World's First Ferris Wheel debuted at the Chicago ah. Fair in 1893. Ah, the Windy City, Chicago. Uh, the Seattle Space Needle was built for the 1962 World Fair, which you may remember from the mm-hmm. Fraser credits. Yes, it's from the logo. Of course. Oh, baby. Yeah. Feel the blues <laughs> I, just, I brought it up. Just and scrambled, scrambled eggs. Oh, my. <laughs> and maybe I feel, feel a bit, bit confused, confused, but maybe, maybe I, I got, got you, you Peck. <laughs> and I don't, don't know what to do with that toast salad and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Dun, dun, Good night, dun. Seattle. We love you. <laughs> So, so that was built for the 1962 World's Fair, and who could forget the Sun Sphere, aka the Wig Sphere, built for the 1982 <laughs> Knoxville World's Fair? Yes, of course. Is that real? Yeah, it's real. Oh, that great. building is real on The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> the Wig Sphere. <laughs> Thousands of boxes of wigs. But the proposed tower that I mentioned for the 1889 World's Fair would go on to be the poster child for the World's Fairs around the world. But it wasn't always smooth sailing for the building today, known in English as the Eiffel Tower. Oh. Ooh. What was it known then in French? The Wig Sphere. The <laughs> <laughs> Sphere. So the fair put the call out many years earlier for the for designs for this proposed 300-metre tower, which is just, over, just under 1,000 feet for our people that don't use metres. So all it is at this point is 
Big Tower. Big Tower. They don't. It's no design. Or well, they, the brief. They had a brief. It stated they wanted quote to study the possibility of erecting an iron tower on the Champ de Mars, which is where it is now, with a square base 125 meters across and 300 meters tall. That's what they they said. All in all, they had 107 entries to choose from, many of which ignored the brief asking for a tower to be made of iron. Right. In fact, any all that stuff I just read out, apart from the 300-meter bit, most of them just ignored that. Isn't that a fun thing that uh, for you to do is you're picking which which one you like? You're just like going, oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah, just no. screwing up one after the other, putting them into the bin. That makes it so much easier. And there was only one that <laughs> designed something in iron, and they're like, all right, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. that one. By default, this is we'll go with this guy. One of the most vocal front runners was uh, architect Jules Bordai, who proposed a 350-meter granite tower with a gigantic searchlight and mirrors on top that could illuminate the whole city. Wow. Uh, when huh. questioned on how such a heavy column would actually be an engineering possibility, he declined to comment. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Other entries included a tower that could double as a huge water sprinkler in case Paris ever went through a drought. Oh, where's the water coming from? <laughs> I don't know. Paris is in drought. All right, fire up the pumps. We have no water. That's the drought. That's the, if we had the water for the sprinkler, we'd just distribute that in a more sensible way. A, uh, a giant guillotine was even proposed to celebrate the revolution. Wow. Again, that's not an iron 300 metre guillotine. <laughs> Whoa. That's too big. It's way too big. But, of course, none of these designs were chosen. The winner was submitted by engineer Gustave Eiffel's company. Gustave. At the time, Gustave was already thought of as uh, an engineering genius. He already uh, had the skills to pull off such a feat. Surely it wasn't named Eiffel Tower from the start then. No, no. He just submitted the designs through his company. Yeah. Like the Rialto being called... Grolo Tower, <laughs> Grocon Tower. When they when they were going to call something Grolo Tower, probably. Yeah, and then they've lost the money for it, I believe. Ah. So the uh, the Rialto was once the tallest building here in Melbourne. Yeah, in the Southern Hemisphere, I think. A beautiful <laughs> diamond in the Melbourne skyline. Mm. <laughs> I love the Rialto. Usurped so much. Oh. by the Eureka. All Eureka. too soon. There's another one going up, I believe. That's going to maybe be yeah, apartment there. something. Yeah. Apartment. I think it's called Apartment 101. I know, something like that. But yeah. you can live in it. I think so. Oh, I hate that. Too high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Too high. The to five live. minute commute up the elevator. Yeah, God, fuck that. You wouldn't do it? No, too high. <laughs> I don't I mean, know how, I mean, how much clearer do I need to be, Dave? Oh, it's called Australia 108. There uh-huh. you go. But it will have 1,100 apartments inside. 1,100. Imagine yeah. having 1,100 neighbors. Well, you wouldn't. You'd have uh, 1,099. More than one person can live in an apartment, Dave. I don't think so. I hate you. I not, not, I've looked at the plants. They're very small. Oh, wow. They're all, there's a, 1,100 cupboards to choose from. Whoa. And the there's rent also is $5,000. There's also a penthouse, double cupboard. <laughs> so Gustav Eiffel, or Eiffel, was born in 1832. His full name was Alexander Gustav Bonnickhausen dit Eiffel. Wow. Which is an incredible name. Love that. Fantastic name. Uh, he graduated from the prestigious Ecole Centrale Paris in 1855, the same year that Paris hosted the Second World's Fair, and Eiffel was bought a season ticket by his mother. Aww. So these World's Fairs would keep coming up in his life. After a slow start working odd jobs, once given an opportunity to prove himself, he excelled. He had been hired to work on the 500-metre-long Bordeaux Bridge, 
initially just given the responsibility of assembling the metalwork, but when the project manager resigned in 1860, IFL took over the entire project. It was a huge success, and from there he was asked to design railway stations, locomotives themselves, and aqueducts. Wow. His career was off. He was hired to help design the exhibition hall for the uh, Paris's second go at hosting the World's Fair in 1867. So it comes up again. When the Statue of Liberty's initial designer, Eugène Vollard-le-Duc, unexpectedly passed away in 1879, Gustave Eiffel was hired as his replacement. Right. So he also helped design the Statue, Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty, wow. Whoa. He redesigned the interior of the statue to make it more flexible. The elasticity of Eiffel's design has been praised because the statue has to withstand winds from New York Harbour, temperature changes and other various weather conditions. Yeah, she can touch her toes. She wow. is very. That is impressive. She's hyper flexible. Yeah. The. <laughs> that'd be so fun. A, a big typhoon comes through, and she's, she's bent bending over. over. <laughs> I can't touch my toes. This bloody concrete probably statue can. This giant woman will devour us all. <laughs> I'm talking about oh, the statue. Lady Liberty. Uh, the entire statue was erected at Eiffel Eiffel's works in Paris, his factory, before being dismantled and shipped over to the United States. So he just had it there in his factory. Wow. Ah. So, yeah, it's crazy that one man worked on two of the most famous structures in history. Yeah. By the time of the third Parisian World's Fair rolled around in 1878, Gustave established his reputation as one of the leading engineers of the time and designed many of the fair's buildings. Oh, cool. So every time it comes around, he's like, yeah, I'll work on another thing. Cool. His reputation as a pair of engineering hands almost certainly contributed to his company getting the job to erect the 300-meter tower. They knew they could hand, he could handle See, it. He was disembodied hands. That makes all this even more impressive. He's just a pair of hands. And Dave, stop saying erect. I will never stop saying erect. Hmm. Okay, well, I tried. <laughs> That's like asking a dancer not to dance. <laughs> what? <laughs> I will always erect. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so Eiffel is the name we associate with the towers, the Eiffel Tower. Of we all course. know that. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't actually come up with the original design. Ah. That is attributed to, and let me have a crack at these French names ah. Maurice Cochelin and Emile Nougier, two senior engineers working for Eiffel's company. So he owned the company. Inspiration for them came from the Latin Observatory, which was built for the 1853 World's Fair in New York. Sadly, that building also mysteriously burned down three years later. What? Are you going to go into this more? Or is this just no, just a mystery? At, just at the time, um, it was harder to put things out. And right. they built things from flammable materials. Right. So once it got, a fire took hold. I'm, I don't know if that's why, but the iron building of the uh, Eiffel Tower is a lot harder to burn down. I don't know if that's, that's why they chose that. It's not like the city that... Uh, that was outbid for the fair came in and burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't have it, no one can. So uh, Koshlin, who came up with the design, he made the first sketch of the idea, which still exists, and I will post a photo of it because it looks like a three-year-old, no, about a seven-year-old's drawing of the Eiffel Tower. Okay, well, I'm glad you upgraded from three to seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It changed the picture in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. From crayons to grey leads. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely it's a grey lead, but it's still not. It doesn't look like an architectural masterpiece yet. Right. Hmm. But it's just the idea's there. He described it as, quote, a great pylon consisting of four lattice girders standing apart at the base and coming together at the top, joined together by metal trusses at regular intervals, which, you know, that's a description of what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it is. They showed their design and the drawing to their boss, Eiffel, who initially wasn't that keen, but he told them to keep working on it anyway. 
He asked uh, Stephen Silvestra, the head of the company's architectural department, to take a look. And uh, this is from the Eiffel Tower's official website. Silvestra proposed stonework pedestals to dress the legs, monumental arches to link the columns, a bulb-shaped design for the top, and various other ornamental features to decorate the whole of the structure. So he took their idea and just made it look more beautiful. Gave it a bit of... Pizzazz. Yes. So, certain, I don't know how to. How do you say? How do you say? Razzle dazzle. Je ne sais quoi. Razzle dazzle. That's how Sylvester would say it. Yeah, I and think I think uh, je ne sais quoi translates to razzle dazzle. Yes, I believe that's correct. So he gave it the the appearance that you know how at the bottom of it it's got it's got the four legs and they ha- there's arches over that you would have stood under yeah. the archways. Those arches don't do anything. Ah. They are purely ornamental. Very pretty. That way they're not there to hold the tower up. They just put that in to be like, oh, it'll look more pleasing to the eye. If we mm. Put the arch. Yeah, there. I did assume that was like brace used to brace or yeah. something. That's cool. So he redesigned. He made it more beautiful. So now there's three people that have worked on the design. They took it back to Eiffel, who liked this improved design a lot better, and he bought the patent for the design. He paid them for the design. How much? Yep. I believe I, I couldn't work out how much this. is. I read fifty thousand francs. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. Couldn't work out. Couldn't do the conversion from 1879. Right. Yeah, what a moving parts there. Or 1884, and he submitted it to the uh, Exhibition of Decorative Arts under his company's name. He applied and said, we'll build the thing in five years. After more presentations and a lot of red tape, Eiffel's company was hired and they were given the job. So, he, yeah, so he paid 50,000 francs before even, like as a gamble that yeah. it would hopefully get picked. Put the money down. Well, maybe this puts it into perspective slightly. 1.5 million francs was given towards the construction costs, which is actually a, a quarter of what it was going to cost. So oh, it's going to okay. cost 6 million to build the whole thing. He just wow. gave 50,000 of these guys. Eiffel himself ended up putting in more than half the construction costs himself. Okay. Whoa. But because of this deal... He struck a deal with them where he was able to receive all the income from the commercial exploitation of the tower during the exhibition and for the next 20 years. Whoa. And remember, it's the most ticketed structure in the world. So people are paying to go up it. Yeah. This would end up making him a very, very rich man. So that's so smart. He took the gamble, put the outlay, but said, okay, only if I get all the ticket proceeds. And they're like, all right. Why would they agree to that? Well, because they were like, I don't think anyone else is going to be able to build this thing. You got to get points. Is that what you do in a deal? Got to back end that deal. Get a real sweet back end. Is that a thing? Am I talking in? I have no idea. Will you say this at your expo? <laughs> People are asking about that. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to talk in Hollywood <laughs> jargon, but I'm I'm possibly not doing it. Got to make sure you get a few points on that. Uh, make sure, yeah, you looked after on the back end. So you get get some of the rollover. <laughs> yeah, sweet, make sure the, ro- the rollover happens and you're you covered. Um, involved there. <laughs> they back on, up that truck. So the design's been approved and announced a couple of years before the fair, but there, as you said, Matt, lots of doubt in the press as construction began in January 1887. Remember, nothing that big has ever been attempted before and there was lots of doubt. Common questions were, how would the iron building survive in the wind? Will it just fall over? We'll probably bolt it down, yeah. dickhead. <laughs> Jeez, that's a big question. You'd hope they'd have that answer before it started going yeah, up. Another fair. question, where would they be able to find men that would be willing to work 300 metres off the ground? Could men even work that high up? Oh. Because no one's ever been up that high on, to work on a structure before. Right. Aww. A bit like when um, also the Montgolfier brothers that launched the hot air balloon, the first hot air balloon, and they were like, will people be able to survive up there? So they sent the animals up instead. It's a bit, a bit like that. Now we go, oh, yeah. 
People can work that high. But at the time, people were worried. It was even claimed that such a large building of iron would become a giant magnet and start pulling nails out of nearby buildings that would then fall down. What What was the logic there? Uh, I felt declined to respond to such a wild accusation. <laughs> yeah, right. I refused to dignify that question with an answer. That's so silly. So though the practical objections, it was also objected to on artistic grounds. A committee of 300, one member for each metre of the tower's height formed. World-famous architect Charles Garnier was in charge of the group. Ah, fructus. <laughs> He'd uh, designed the Palais Garnier, the stunning opera house in Paris that you may have seen when you're there. And is... the shampoo. And the shampoo, and also yeah. the setting for the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, the group also included many famous writers and artists of the day, all who opposed the design. A petition called Artists Against the Eiffel Tower was published in 1887. Isn't that so weird? Artists against it. And this is what they wrote. We writers, painters, sculptors, architects and passionate devotees of the hitherto untouched beauty of Paris protest with all our strength, with all our indignation in the name of slighted French taste against the erection. Sorry, Jess. Of this useless and monstrous Eiffel Tower. To bring our argument home, imagine for a moment a giddy, ridiculous tower dominating Paris like a gigantic black smokestack, crushing under its barbaric bulk Notre Dame, the Louvre, the Dome of Les Invalides, the Arc de Triomphe. All our humiliated monuments will disappear in this ghastly dream. And for 20 years, we shall see stretching like a blot of ink the hateful shadow of the hateful column of bolted sheet metal. <laughs> Amazing. So they really hated it. It is for, like people hate change, and that seems like that's always been true. People but, really hated Fed Square when they started building it. <laughs> but haven't we all swallowed our words now? <laughs> oh, I love Fed it's Square. It's so beautiful. There's so many things to do there. Yeah. So too many to list here. <laughs> They've got multiple. But I think cafes. We're, we're still in the eye of the storm with that one. It's generations to come that will decide. I think whether or not that was. Good or bad. What As was it, there before? Uh, I think it was it was like an industrial sort of section. I can't even remember. When did it happen? I was in grade six when they were building it. So the early 2000s. And this is the uh, one of Melbourne's main squares opposite yeah. our largest train station. Mm. And one of our most iconic pubs. Um, but it's <laughs> Young and Jackson. <laughs> Young and Jackson. Yeah. And then on the other corner is a cathedral. But yeah. I don't. It's quite a. It's I, quite I like elements of it. I like the that sandstone or whatever that red yeah. brick stuff. I really like the edge, the glass section. Yeah. I, reckon, I wish they had built the whole thing to look like that glass, and there's mm. probably practical reasons why they couldn't. But that's the coolest looking part of it, I reckon. I like Acme. Acme's great. I think there's some really cool bits in there. Uh, I like a, the pub. The pub's good. The beer. Oh, I don't like that. Ah, oh, it's fine. There's it's a Seven Eleven in there. <laughs> there is a Seven Eleven in there, and it's yeah. fine. It's yeah. very small. Had, first time I ever had a spinach roll was in that 7-Eleven, so, I mean, wow. don't say nothing happened First one there. I ever had was in uh, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> That's true. No. Oh. At the 7-Eleven at the Eiffel because Tower. Because there, there are two restaurants there. Are there? Yeah. There's all there's lawns all the way around it. I've My memories are pretty vague, but mm. I, I just remember it being the most perfect blue sky summer's day, and I just sat and read a book in the shade of the Eiffel Tower nearby. So nice. It's a very beautiful spot. But at the time, people are saying it's going to ruin the city's skyline. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, Gustav Eiffel responded to these criticisms by comparing his tower to the Egyptian pyramids. 
one of the other former record holders for thousands of years of the tallest structure. My tower will be the tallest edifice ever erected, sorry, by man. Will it not also be grandiose in its own way? And why would something admirable in Egypt become hideous and ridiculous in Paris? He said. Hmm. I love that. He's like equating two things that are not the same. And then just going, all right, so the pyramids and the Eiffel Tower are the same. We all agree on that. Now, are you telling me you hate the pyramids? Do you hate the pyramid? <laughs> huh? Do you hate all? Do you hate everyone in Egypt? Is that what you're saying? Do you hate man, mankind? Okay. Well, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> he launches that into a 16-hour filibuster. It was uh, disparagingly described by writers and satirists in uh, satirists in papers and in pamphlets. It was the age of pamphlets. I love that. Oh yeah, beautiful Let, age. Let's bring it back. A lot of comedians for a while there had newsletters. I reckon I'm going to start. Pamphlet. A pamphlet. Like a physical pamphlet? Monthly pamphlet. I'm just going to start handing out. Just letterbox yeah. dropping it? Yeah. Put that it seems like a lot of work. I mean, people do still have newsletters. They just have them online now. You just email them to people. You could, just, you could email it to people. Could you no, but I prefer a, a pamphlet. Well, you could call it an e-pamphlet. Yeah. E-pamph. What is a pamphlet? You assume a pamphlet is a small uh, version of a pamphlet. Like a pikelet. Yeah, so what's the It's pamph- a small version of a pike. <laughs> 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 that, t- that pancake. Is, a pa- is a book a pamphlet? Yeah. A larger pamphlet. I guess so, yes. Right. Or I'm, a newspaper. I'm saying yes, definitely. That's what a pamph is. But pamph is fun to say. Pamph. Pamph. Anyway, I'm going to read you some uh, descriptions of what they thought the Eiffel Tower would be, uh, including in pamphlets and in newspapers. These, these are descriptions. Novelist and pamphleteer Leon Blois. So these are all famous writers at the time. This is what they'd say it was going to be. Yeah, but I'd, I've heard of Eiffel Tower. I haven't heard of this guy. So you haven't heard of, what does that say? You haven't heard of Blois? Blois' pamphlet? No. Still going. One of the longest, the boy. One of the wrong, longest running pamphlets in history. He boy wrote in his hoi polloi. He described it as a truly tragic street lamp. Blamp. <laughs> blamp. Blamp. Street lamp. Oh, I definitely heard street blamp. blamp. Did you hear blamp? Street lamp. Am I having a stroke? I heard Possibly. lamp, but I okay. like blamp more. I, I thought that blamp. you were saying that that's what he should. I thought you were saying he should have called it a blamp. No, I, was I with heard you, you say that would have got him. Street blamp, and I thought, why do you both know what a blamp is? And <laughs> yeah. you're not, no one's reacting to blamp. You've never been blamping? Never been blamping. Poet and novelist Francois Coppi said, This master of iron gymnasium apparatus, incomplete, confused, and deformed. They were hating it. Wow. Novelist Joris Carl Heisman, who was known for his wit, said, It's a half built factory pipe, a whole riddled suppository. Ooh. Known for his wit. <laughs> Whole riddled suppository. Yeah, I love that. Okay. But uh, possibly the longest description was Mausapan, who's a, a, a famous writer who is described as the master of the short story. Has not nailed the shortness here. Baby shoes never worn for sale. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his. Uh, this high and skinny pyramid of iron ladders, this giant ungainly skeleton upon a base that looks built to carry a colossal monument of cyclops, but which just peters out into a ridiculous thin shape like a factory chimney. He didn't really keep it short there, did he? No. Could have trimmed a few words. I hated it. So despite this intense criticism, cannot state how intense it was. Yeah. Oh, don't you think it would? it would not make you feel good? Going to bed at night. I'd be thinking about that a lot. Like self-doubt and stuff would be creeping in. If the yeah. whole your whole city is telling you you've, you're going to ruin Paris. It's 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 crazy now that we know how famous it is. Yeah. Like, it's so Maybe he quintessentially just, Parisian. He, could t- he knew. He knew what yeah. it would be. He said, "You." it's like when your kids are yelling at you and saying, oh, I hate you, you say, 
that's how you feel right now. That's cool, man. I get it. One day you'll appreciate me. They don't get to you and they tell you they hate you. I hate you, Jessica. <laughs> no, it doesn't bother me. No, I love it. Me. Bounces off my back. Makes me more powerful. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. I, I don't care that my kids hate me. Why are you weeping, Jessica? I'm, I'm not. I have hay fever. <laughs> well, so yeah, I, I, I really hope that he gets to live to the point where the appreciation is universal. Yeah. Because the other thing is, let's not forget that he's also put in all his money. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's not this could just ruin him. His like reputation and his company's reputation. It's also, also all his money's his money. reputation. Yeah, his money's <laughs> reputation. How will his your money go to the <laughs> bank? <laughs> your money's name is mud around here. Well, who will kiss him goodnight at night? <laughs> goodnight at night. <laughs> That's my money him? giving me kisses. <laughs> it's not very loud because it's not a lot of money. <laughs> oh, but his his money is deafening. Wow. Actually, no, it's not because he's. Wow! He spent it all. He's kissing him like that. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Offensively loud. Yeah, it's annoying. So despite this criticism, the assembly of the supports went ahead and began on July the 1st, 1887. And just two years, two days and five months later, the tower as we know it was completed. Two years, two days and five months. Wait. What a weird order. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Is that what you said? I meant to write two years, two months and five days. Okay, right. right. Thank yeah. you for pulling me up on that. I'm sorry. No, I was just repeating you, but then I realised... I have written. I just thought he was running it poetically. Get the twos together, yeah, and then chuck the five out the back with the months. Two years and two days plus five months. months. Yeah, who cares about that? Don't worry about it. Uh, This was considered to be mind-blowingly fast at the time. I'm I'm surprised, especially considering all the elements were prepared in Eiffel's factory located on the outskirts of Paris, and then they were brought in. Okay, the tower is made up of eighteen thousand pieces, all specifically designed and calculated, traced out to an accuracy of a tenth of a millimetre, and then put together, forming new pieces around five metres each. Wow. And they bring those in and then assemble them again. Whoa. Love that. The accuracy for something so big to come down to a tenth of a millimetre. It's wild. Like what I couldn't see to my naked eye. Yeah, but they have to be that precise. Yeah. Because they're building, if there's four legs of it, they start in each corner and build up to that base. So if one of them's even slightly out, you're not going to get that bottom level right. Yeah. yeah. If like, your eyes could put on some pants, though, that'd be good. <laughs> Naked eye. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you can see thank Matt you talking me, talking me through that. I think it was like, um, yeah, and any, any sort of mini project I might do where I, I, I'll measure stuff out. Pretty much, you know. Pretty close. Pretty close. Within like a metre. And then you find it, oh, this thing was meant to be a square. <laughs> it's more like somehow it's a circle. I've <laughs> got some measurement off here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. But, that, I mean, it's the different ways that people can operate, I guess. Eiffel and I do things a little differently. <laughs> He's a, oh, I'm a nerd who does things precisely. I'm like, hey, I'm free and easy, baby. Mm. It's the Parisian way. There's a little Parisian in me. His name's Gerald. (laughs) (laughs) Gerald. Uh, Matthew, that's where about the measure. (laughs) Okay, Gerald. (laughs) He's he's got me in a lot of strife. (laughs) (laughs) About 300 workers put together the pieces on site. First, the pieces were assembled in the factory using bolts, and then they were later replaced by uh, ones with thermally assembled rivets. A team of four men was needed for each rivet assembled. One would heat it up, another to hold it in place, and a third to shape the head, whilst a fourth's job was to beat it in with a sledgehammer. 
It sounds sexy. <laughs> yeah. All up, the tower had 2.5 million rivets. What? Whoa. So it's a long job. Absolutely riveting stuff there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That is good. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I just saw the double thing there. <laughs> So the main structural work was completed in March 1889 And on the 31st of March I fell open to the tower by leading a group of government officials And members of the media all the way to the top So there was already like a lift there Or did they take the stairs? Well, no, the lifts were being built still at that time They weren't yet in operation So the ascent was made by foot And took over an hour Mainly because I fell kept stopping to point out various features Oh, fun well, that's good because I would appreciate that. Cause like I'd be a little like, rest. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <sighs> <laughs> Just give us a second. Once at the top, he unfurled the French flag. Has the French flag always been the same as yeah, it the, is now? Yeah, the tricolour. Yeah, right. well, at the time then it was. Oh, it already I was. love a flag unfurling. Oh, yeah, unfurl that flag. <laughs> so after all the backlash, how <laughs> did the public react? Well, it was an instant success. Oh, oh my God. So the backlash was all before they'd seen it. Oh, yeah, so the, the designs were out and then they started building these bottom bits and people started being like, you know, front pages of newspapers and pamphlets and things were like, it's going to be a disaster. This is awful. Letters were written. Everyone was talking about it as it was being built and he was just hoping. He's come. Everyone working on it was just hoping, all right, oh, this is a success. The World's Fair people were hoping as well because they wanted to be like, you know, the centre point. Yeah. But at the, like, like you said, at the very least, it's double the next highest structure in the world yeah. or man-made structure. So surely there's something there. That's At the very crazy. least, it's like we didn't know people could stand up there. Yeah. Surely that's amazing on some level. Yeah, right? It's Plus crazy. It looks pretty cool. Uh, lifts were added to take the passengers up the tower but weren't operational until three weeks after the fair. That was the only bit that they lapsed behind in time. Okay. Still 30,000 people walked all the way to the top in those three weeks. Wow. Which is 1,710 steps. 1,710. If you're going to walk all the way there. And uh, quoting from Wikipedia here, but I did enjoy this all the same. Some of the protesters changed their mind when the tower was built. Others remained unconvinced. The writer who I mentioned before, Mauser Pant, who was the short story guy, supposedly ate lunch in the tower's restaurant every day <laughs> because it was the one place in Paris <laughs> where the tower was not visible. I've heard about that oh. guy. <laughs> what that's, a dick. So who knows if that's true, but that's a great great story. It's a, it's a great line, great story, but it's also like, man, if you really hate it, you're monetary you're supporting yeah. it. Yeah, every day. Every day you're giving it cash. You could just sit with your back to a window so <laughs> you can't see it anyway. Yeah. Look in a different direction. Yeah, then you could you could your money doesn't have to go towards it. You know it's not visible when you're in the dining hall inside, but you know where it is visible? Walking towards it. Yeah. Which you're every doing day. every day. Every day. It's getting bigger and closer to you every day. I think he secretly loves he it. Loved it. <laughs> he, he loved it. He loved it. He didn't want to tell you. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. Oh, I'm Marzipan. I love it. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. Ooh. Oh, you're so high and tall. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you, Eiffel Tower. Also, you're making me they're making erect. A, they make an amazing <laughs> French onion soup in the restaurant. He just couldn't walk away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Oh. People showed us photos for some reason. French After onion it soup. came up, maybe in the Betty White episode. <laughs> Not the Betty White, Betty Crocker. Not Betty Crocker. Julia, Julia Child. Julia Child. Betty oh Crocker and me. Well, no, firstly they were confused that they thought it doesn't exist here. And we said, no, no, it does. It's just gross. Oh, those photos. They're I... like, what do you mean? All this. Even think the memory onion. of that photo. 
There's the melted no cheese. cheese on top. Cheese. Yeah. No good. Anyway, I love I love culture. I love culture. I love culture. I've I, tried French onion I've soup. I've tried your culture. I didn't like your culture. <laughs> <laughs> your culture made me vom. <laughs> Not for me, thanks. Your culture, that is. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks. Do we have any listeners in France? Yeah. Do we? Well, yeah, we've met. A yeah, that's how we've met a listener a few times. He came to Twice shows in London. In London. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it's. I think it's Joseph. Yes, I think that's it. Yes, and he's what a giving man. me treats every time. Yeah, I think I remember last time. I was like, "This is just for you, Jess." Yeah, like he just gives me treats, <laughs> and just which I welcome. I love hearing him talk. Yeah, beautiful voice. Oh yeah, voice. big fan of that. But if you want to give me treats, please come to our Melbourne International Comedy Festival show. <laughs> we give me, love treats. Give me treat. I love treats. We got Mick in Brisbane who always leaves me skittles. Oh, he's one of my favourite people. Oh wow, huge call. Such a good guy. I love treats. I'm not sure if I mentioned it again, but I think that there's two restaurants these days at the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. I don't know if you, when you went. I, I didn't know. How did yeah, I not realize one, that? One of them, I think once the Jules Verne restaurant, the famous named after the famous writer. Yeah. So thirty thousand people in the first few weeks climbed to the top, but all up over the World's Fair, which goes for many many months, it received two million visitors. Whoa! And Gustave got a, a large percentage of all those ticket sales. <laughs> yeah. So his investment really paid He's off. He's a genius. Uh, famous visitors to the tower during the World's Fair included the Prince of Wales at the time. Thomas- Charles. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, Tom- Thomas Edison, who was exhibiting his uh, inventions. Wow. He was there. That's cool. We did an episode about him way back. God, I don't and remember that. another episode where we mentioned this exact incident was and Buffalo Bill Cody, who was attending the exhibition as mentioned in our Annie Oakley episode. Yeah. Remember she performed oh, in a... Right. a Buffalo Bill's uh, circus. I love right. how we're building a shared universe. We totally are. <laughs> uh, Gustav Eiffel had a small apartment built for himself near the top of the tower. Near the top of the tower? Yeah, right near the top. I, I cannot. So there's, in my head, it's all like basically outdoors, but it's it's sort of, in my head, it's just all metal. But he he's in built an enclosed area. Is that still there? Yeah, which is still there. Yeah, right. He welcomed many of these famous visitors up to his his private apartment. So he'd live there on and off, including Thomas Edison himself, who gifted Gustave with the newly invented phonograph, oh. which led on to go on to be the the gramophone or record player, Whoa. which That's was cool. he was exhibiting at the World's Fair. The apartment itself was kept a secret at first, but once word got out that Eiffel had the highest apartment in Paris, the rich and famous got very jealous, and re- he received many offers to rent it out, even for one night. But he. Coolly decline them all. Oh, my God. Oh. I can't even picture that. He doesn't need their cash. Yeah. And uh, so it's still there now and there's, like, models of him inside it. How big is the apartment? A very small. It's only a couple of rooms. Yeah, right. And there's, like, you can see. It looks like a caravan, like the toilet's next to the oven. Yeah. Well, the, from the, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to look at the photos. Does it have a toilet? I don't know. Oh, okay. Just fling, fling it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. And I have a toilet. Sorry to brag. There's a toilet in my house. <laughs> I think uh, in um, so that I think there are things that I misunderstood about the story. I'm sure I heard that people hated it after it went up, and they wanted to bring. It was a plan for it to come down or something. Or was it always supposed to be there forever? Well, the next thing I was going to say oh. is it's crazy to think now, but at the time it was meant to be only temporary. 
How long? It was planned to stand for 20 years and then get scrapped. And they went with 20 years because of Gustav's investment. And they said, okay, we'll give you 20 years to recoup the cost that you've invested in it. But after that, we're going to bring it down. Right. Surely he made his money in like that first. Oh, very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah so after that, it's just extra. Two million people came straight away. And then it's popular. And sure, his popularity helped like, them want to keep it. But one of the main reasons it wasn't demolished in 1909 as scheduled was the fact that the tower had become a fantastic radio transmitter. Right. Yes, that's what I heard. Because it was so high. It was the tallest thing in the whole city. And it looks like an aerial, basically. Yeah. It is a very beautiful aerial. Yeah. That's amazing. And I bet they're glad they stuck with it because in 1914, at the outbreak of World War One, a radio transmitter located in the tower jammed German radio communications, seriously hindering their advance on Paris at the time and cr- contributed to the Allied victory at the First Battle of the Marne, which kept the Germans out of Paris. Right. Wow. Uh, This did result in four years of uh, stalemate and trench warfare, sure, but they kept them out of Paris. And one of the main reasons was because they had the best radio transmitter. Right. That's cool. That's crazy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. (laughs) Cha-ching! You can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I want to tell you another story now about the uh, Eiffel Tower. A couple of years earlier, in 1912, there was a man who, in hindsight, probably had wished that the Eiffel Tower had been scrapped. That man was Franz Reicheld, a.k.a. the Flying Tailor. Okay. I'm sorry, what? The Flying Tailor. Okay. So he- no, now I get it. I don't need any further clarification. <laughs> he's a clothes tailor, yeah, but he does up. it like sort of flying around you. So he's sort of like a... F- a couple Ooh. of feet off the ground. <laughs> like, in, like in Disney movies when, like, birds help you yes. get dressed. Or the... Uh, in... <laughs> like yeah. carrying scarves in yes. between their beaks. Yeah. Was he a bird? Was he a Was bird? Was he a little colourful bird? Oh, sorry, a.k.a. the bird. Oh, <laughs> little bird. I just want to shout out to Odie Matthews who suggested we do a full report on this guy, but I've condensed a mini report here. 
on Franz Reichel, the flying tailor, who was born in Austria in 1878. He became a French national in 1909 and was keen to make his mark on the world. He opened a dressmaking shop at first, working as a tailor, but he wanted to invent something new. This was the beginning of the age of aviation, like I mentioned, hot air balloons before, small planes had started taking off. Franz Reichelt saw a gap in the market for a parachute suit. Oh, yeah. Love this. MC Hammer was yeah. the first big customer. <laughs> oh, he, Dave really enjoyed that. that I well did imagining them. <laughs> Good job. Hey, Matt. Good job on that. Well joke. done, mate. You were funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, that really tickled me. So the idea was a suit not much bigger than a regular suit, but one that in an emergency could double as a parachute. That's the basic idea. Parachute suit. DB Cooper would have enjoyed that. He would have loved that. He probably could have used that. There's a DB Cooper reference on episode 30 Rock I was watching really? the other day, and I was like, wow, that's niche. I get that. I get, I get it. that. I understand it now. Uh, it should be noted that functional uh, canopy parachutes already existed, but no parachute exi- existed for people leaping from planes or from a low altitude, and none existed that also doubled as sweet suits. Interesting, okay. yeah. So he's really ahead of the it's curve. cornering the market here. Yeah. The flying tailor. You get it. In 1911, Colonel Lalance, I love that name, Colonel Lalance. Lalance. Lalance, 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 Colonel. From the Aero Club de France, offered a prize of 10,000 francs to anyone that could create a safety parachute for aviators that did not exceed 25 kilograms in weight. Reichelt had the inspiration he'd been waiting for, started to work on his design properly. There was no mention of a, uh, it also doubling as a suit, but that was just a sweet bonus. I'm picturing like an 80s power suit, big <laughs> high um, shoulder pads, pinstripes, uh, pocket pocket kerchief. Nothing makes you feel more powerful knowing that at any time you could just bail out of this plane and be fine. Yeah. I don't need this plane. Oh, yeah. I could fly. I could just fly myself from here. <laughs> You can, if you're going to keep flying, I'll, we'll, I'll just stay in. But if you reckon this is going down, I'll just take it from here. All right. All right. Imagine looking around the plane these days and everyone's wearing a parachute suit. Just in case. Never know. Just in case. So he created a few prototypes, but at 70 kilos, nearly three times what he wanted, they were, these were way too big and heavy. He presented this early design to the leading aeronautic organization in France, hoping that they would want to test it. But they rejected his designs on the grounds that the construction of the canopy was too weak and they attempted to dissuade him from spending further time on development. They basically told him to give up now. Uh. But he wouldn't give up. Of course not. Instead, he had his own little tests, first using uh, the chute on dummies dropped from the fifth floor of his apartment building. These failed, so he decided to have a go himself. Wait, what? (laughs) He thought the dummy was the problem. Oh, he was, in no. fact, wrong. Uh, he broke his leg. Oh. But he remained undeterred. Oh, my God. He should be deterred. His theory was that it actually wasn't high enough to test the chute properly. That's the problem. That I'm only five sense. floors up. Yep, Do no. you know what? It's okay to be deterred. Yeah. It's okay. Sometimes you should be deterred. Sometimes. Feels Take like a hint sometimes. Unless this is going to turn into a huge success. Yeah. I don't feel like it is, it's though. It's the flying tailor. How bad could this go? Well, well you did say like at the start. <laughs> you said at the start, one guy wished the Eiffel Tower didn't exist. <laughs> Which means he's going to jump off it. Well, he needed a tall structure <laughs> oh my to test God. his experiments. No. His apartment's not tall enough. He started lobbying to get permission to be able to conduct some tests from the Eiffel Tower. He was flat out denied for over a year. 
but I imagine he was so persistent they finally gave him permission after one year to run a test on February 4th, 1912. He told them he was going to test his parachute on dummies. He was lying. He planned to jump himself. What the fuck is he thinking? Is this a parachute suit? He's wearing a parachute. So when he arrived at the tower at 7am, he made the announcement whilst wearing the parachute suit. So he's strutting in. They're like, oh, where's your suit? Where's the dummies? He's like, don't need either, baby. There is no dummy. (laughs) I'm the dummy. Many friends and onlookers tried to dissuade him from such an attempt. This is not a bad idea. He would not listen. Oh, my God. They said, hey, how about you use a dummy first and then next time when this works, do it yourself. Great. A great idea. Great suggestions, I think. Wonderful suggestion from caring friends and family and onlookers. Prove that it works once and then you can do it. Sure. He said, no. When questioned as to whether he would plan to take any further precautions, such as using a safety rope, for example, he replied that he would not since he intended to trust his life entirely to his parachute. Oh, my God. Does he have, like, a a wife and kids? Not that I came across. Well, that's all right, then. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're long since deceased. He already used them as first dummies. <laughs> when I say dummies, I meant children. Oh. This is him. Quote, I want to try the experiment myself and without trickery, as I tend to prove the worth of my invention. Oh, no. He's putting his money where his mouth is. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay. He went up the tower with two friends and a cameraman, with another filming below. As he climbed the stairs, he paused, turned back to the crowd, raised his hand and wished them a cheery in French, See you soon! (laughs) He was right. He would see the crowd soon. Oh, my God. He stood up on the guardrail, threw a piece of paper to check the wind. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's got safety precautions, guys. And then jumped from just 57 metres, or 187 feet above the ground. So he went from the first level. Didn't even go to the top of the tower. The parachute folded around him, and he plummeted onto the frozen ground below. No. He died instantly and made news around the country. Oh. You can see the video of his jump online. There's a video of it? Yeah. He had a camera. So the cameraman at the top and at the bottom. So there's two angles. He may as well, watching it back, he may as well have jumped holding a bed sheet. It would have done more. It just folds around him. He's just suddenly got a cloak around him and he just plummets to the ground. That's horrendous. And people are standing there watching him and just see him hit the ground. Sadly, he was taken to hospital, but he had died straight away. Oh, my That's God. That's the plus side, I guess. Yeah. I've uh, wanted to talk about this guy for a while. As he's the poster boy. There was a photo of him on my favorite, oh, my second favorite Wikipedia page, which is list of inventors killed by their own inventions. <laughs> second only to, which I hope I've mentioned before, list of popes who've died violently. <laughs> well, I, don't, I think that's sort of false because this guy didn't invent icy ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> it was the ground that killed him. Yeah. That's... Wild and terrible. Isn't that a crazy story? But yes. from then on, it, a lot of people asked to conduct experiments, inclu- including Gustav Eiffel next to his apartment. He had another room for experiments. And he would, later in life, he did a lot more designing after his, you know, his reputation's huge, a lot more engineering. But he also did a lot of um, weather experiments from the top of the tower. Right. But from this point on, from 1912 on, it became a lot harder because people would apply and they'd say, no, the last guy jumped and died, so no, no yeah. more experiments. Whoa. He ruined it for everyone else. Yeah. It was a yeah. bit of a bummer, to be honest. He sounds like that kind of person. <laughs> oh, well. But I'd like to finish now with something we haven't had for a while, which is a, a <gasps> lot of fun facts. Ooh. Yay! And with something that's been around for over 130 years, I've got a lot. Great. Well, I will be the judge. Let of me their know. fun level. If you had to guess, Bob, before 
this report when it was built? Would you have had a what would your guess have been? I wouldn't have had a clue. I wouldn't honestly. have had a clue either. I would have Yeah, it makes sense now that I know, but I I almost would have thought seventeen hundreds, which Maybe. is probably a I would have crazy said idea, right? Mm. When was it built? Late 1800s. 1889 is when it was unveiled. So 100 years after the revolution. It just feels like it's been around forever. <laughs> and well, I guess in my life that is true. It's, yeah. it's funny because like, because um, we've grown up with like TVs and then the internet and stuff like that. You see pictures of these things long before you see them, in our cases, living on the other side of the world. So then when I was going over to Paris, I was sort of like, well, I mean, I've seen pictures. And then we were wandering around the Louvre on our first day in Paris and just out a window I saw the top of it and I was like, <gasps> and I yeah. loved it. so it. surreal. I think having seen it so much beforehand makes it even more surreal. Yeah. Right? And the crazy part is you can see it from nearly everywhere in Paris. It's right. amazing. Like there's lots, lots of places that you're like, there it is, there it is. And it's, it's all so lit big. up at night. It's beautiful. I could see it from my hotel room lit up at night. It was beautiful. I loved it. So cool. And same with Big Ben too. Sorry, I mean, let's not get... Don't people get really pedantic about calling it Big Bang? It's yeah, like, that's the, technically it's, it's the Elizabeth Tower. Tower. Yeah, right, okay. But everyone, I, I think people have gone beyond that now, right? hope so. Because I remember walking. Um, actually, oh, pretty, actually, I think you're fine. Actually, I think you're fine. I'm a very boring person. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting off the tube and walking out and just sort of being on the street and looking up and being like, oh, my God. Like, I loved it. I loved the Eiffel Tower. I, this is, a sto- you know, stories from your childhood that your family often repeat. Mine one is seeing it as an 11-year-old, 11-year-old my reaction was, huh, it's not that big. My parents laughed because, you know, they spent my mum's uh, uncle's inheritance to fly my sister and I halfway around the world to, you know, see this amazing <laughs> thing. And I was an 11-year-old going, huh, not that big. Apparently I had the same reaction a few years earlier when I saw the Grand Canyon. <laughs> How many relatives died for you yeah. to have this lifestyle? <laughs> think, honestly, there was two inheritances spent on those trips. Yeah, mm. that's how we got to America too. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Ah, damn my family's longevity. I know, they're so <laughs> healthy. Ah. That's why I never got to travel. I didn't get on a plane till I was 17, I think. Yeah, right. And that was to go to the... Uh, we drove to the was Gulf that Coast the, with and the, it was to fly home. That was oh, with the Wright was... brothers though, wasn't it? That was Oh, he's on! I was actually their first test dummy. <laughs> Broke my leg. All right, Dave, fun facts. Let's do this. All right, fun facts. Did you know that for four decades, as I said, the Eiffel Tower was the world's tallest structure? So it was the tallest building or structure for 40 years, 40 years after it was built. It would Like these days, the records would be held for like six months and a year. And yeah, yeah, taken over. It, it was eclipsed by the Chrysler Building in New York City in 1930. Top of the Chrysler Building. Which, was, which has only held the record for a few months, which we talked about. And I decided to do this episode because one of my favourite Patreon bonus episodes I've done a report on is uh, the Empire State Building and the battle to be the world's tallest between uh, yeah. that and the Chrysler Building. Ah. And I remember having fun on that episode, so I was like, what's another famous thing I could talk about? I don't know if I could tell the difference between those two. No. I've been at the top of uh, the... What was not the Chrysler one? The, the Empire State. Empire I'm sure State. you you would know the difference. So the the Chrysler building's the famous Art Deco one with that spire thing at the top. Right. Yeah. And I, the Eiffel Tower and the I'm um, sorry Empire State Building. You'd definitely recognise it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, but I just don't know if, if I saw them both, would I be able to pick which one was mm. which? I'm not sure if I would. I'm not sure. I I actually, the one I went to the top of was a different one again. It was the Rockefeller Building. Ah, oh, right. Sure. Yeah, I think they're the two competing ones with the views over there. I haven't actually been to New York City. I'm waiting for my uh, great uncle to die. But <laughs> <laughs> which one is this one? Uh, that's the Empire State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, one, the one, one King Kong climbed. Yeah, that's right. That's how you remember. One's yeah. King Kong, the other one's the Fantastic 
Art Deco spy. And the Chrysler <laughs> building is someone, some character in the Annie Orphan musical says something about the top of the Chrysler building. <laughs> so if I hear Chrysler building, that run, line runs through my head. I can't remember the context. Top of the Chrysler building. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for 40 years, that's a pretty good stint. That's oh, amazing. Huge. The fact that people were disparaging about it, it's like, all right, we just built the world's biggest thing. Yeah. Can you be happy with that? It was also the world's largest billboard for a time. I had no idea about this. But between 1925 and 1936, a quarter of a million coloured light bulbs were attached to three sides of the tower's steeple, illuminated to spell out in 100-foot vertical letters, Citroen, the French car company. Yeah, right. So it just said Citroen on three sides for over a decade. That's wild. I had no idea about that. That would have been early, pretty early days of Citroen as well, wouldn't it have been? Well, yeah. I mean, the car company, 1925, must have been pretty early. And... You can see images online. I'll try and post photos of this stuff as well. But, yeah, it's amazing. You see it and you go, it looks fake almost. Yeah, the fact that weird. it's got these letters on it. Over the years, the colour of the tower has changed. When it opened in 1889, the Eiffel Tower sported a reddish-brown colour. Interesting. A, a decade later, it was coated in yellow paint. Oh, I don't uh-huh. like that. The tower was also yellow-brown and chestnut-brown before the adoption of the current special, uh, specially mixed Eiffel Tower brown. Oh, it's brown. In my head, it's sort of charcoal. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's brown. Every seven years, painters apply 60 tons of paint to help her uh, look young. It's it's painted in three shades, it's too. It's fucking patriarchy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Oh, we've got to paint this broad, make her look young, eh? Let's put 60 tons of paint on her. This is ridiculous. Yeah, come on. You know, age gracefully, mate. Yeah, it's all right. They're just, they're basically like Botoxing it. Yeah. Oh, did I mention the Botox? (laughs) (laughs) It's painted in three shades, progressively lighter with elevation as it gets taller, in order to augment the structure's silhouette against the Parisian sky. Ah. Quoting from history.com there, it's a fantastic phrase. Smart idea. I don't fully get it. If that makes sense. I don't get it at all, but okay, cool. (laughs) I think it's just to make it stand out a bit better, you know, so it looks better. It's just lighter at the top. Interesting. Yeah. Paris was, of course, occupied by the Nazis in 1940. And to really stick it up them, the French, <laughs> who famously have the French resistance, before they uh, occupied, cut the lift cables of the tower so the Nazis had to walk up it. If they wanted to get to the top, no more lift. So they, that, well, they did so and they raised the Nazi flag on top only for it to be blown away in the wind. It was a giant <laughs> flag, so they had to replace it with a smaller one. Cop that, Nazis, you dickheads. Yeah, cop it. Uh, when the Allies were nearing Paris in August 1944 and uh, the Germans knew that they were going to have to give it back, Hitler ordered the military governor of Paris to demolish the tower along with the rest of the city. Dog, that's a dog act. I'm sorry, but that's a dog that's act. That's a dog act. Jess, what is that a dog act? wrong with that guy? <laughs> He's a real piece of work. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't get me started. Isn't uh, that like, I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. It just seems like, what a fucking bitch. <laughs> 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 Hitler's a bitch. He's a bitch. There, we said it. So I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's bravery. He's a, honestly, he's a fucking bitch. He's a bitch. <laughs> uh, fortunately, the governor dis- disobeyed the order, knowing that Hitler had completely lost his marbles and was also a big bitch. <laughs> that's a quote. So, so that who disobeyed the orders? The uh, military governor of Paris, who was a German or a Frenchman. Was it, he was a Nazi guy, yeah. But yeah, he was right. like, I'm not going to knock this down, you idiot. You've lost your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Hitler, you're starting to say some pretty crazy <laughs> things. <laughs> some other things I get. 
I, w- I was willing to work with you through some pretty dicey stuff. <laughs> but knocking down a tower, I don't think so. Yeah. You're crazy. I'm out, bitch. <laughs> this uh, isn't what I got into the Nazi stuff for. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to build up, not build, not knock down. <laughs> I know we lost our way there somewhere and became pretty, to be honest, pretty evil. <laughs> Has anybody mentioned that to you? Because I feel like not enough people around you are being honest with you, Hitler. <laughs> You're sounding pretty evil. You're a bit of an evil bitch. You're an evil bitch. <laughs> there, I said it. I know I'll probably be shot against the wall for it, but I said it. You're a bitch. Uh, other people have jumped off the building. Uh, a young woman <laughs> survived when she jumped, was caught in a gust of wind and blown onto the roof of a car, which broke her fall. Oh, my God. She later married the car's owner. No. <laughs> The car was a Citroen. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. What a meat cute, you know? Where... <laughs> That's, that is a great story to tell. You know, some people now are like, oh, it's like I got into Tinder, first swipe, love. You know, some people meet at work. Some people meet at a bar. Some people meet their love when they fall out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, and crash into their To be car. honest, ruin my car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, that car's not. You owe me a date. Oh. oh, that's how it started. Why, it's creepy. Yeah. Well, it was a different time. No, when I say date, I mean my car. That's what I call my car. You owe me a car. Maybe. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's... There's Is a that lot a fun of... fact? Yeah, I'm happy that she survived. That's fun, right? But it's so... She jumped off on purpose? I mean, how do you jump? Yes, yeah, you yeah, can't jump just off, fall yeah. off. Sadly, a few people have jumped off so, but it's, and not it's survived. these. caught are... in a gust awesome. of wind, so it lifted her. Yeah. Was she wearing a parachute suit? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that a man a was, dress. was wearing a dress. a dress was more effective than something designed <laughs> to be a parachute suit. I was just wearing a jacket and it sort of just caught some of the wind and what? yeah, I what? survived. What is, I was naked and I survived, so you, you're an idiot. My scrotum caught the breeze. <laughs> you better get that looked at, mate. That is amazing. It's a slap in the face of the parachute suit. <laughs> a turkey slap in the face. Thank but, you. Um, <laughs> So I, that's the wildest thing in this whole story, surely. How high from, do you know how? I actually high, don't know what level she was on. But he died instantly from the lowest the point lower level, jump. yeah. So she was at least the same level as yeah, that. Yeah, at least 50, 50 plus metres. Oh, my God. The luck of that. And then, because obviously, you know, geez, and, she, and her whole life turned around, I hope. Yeah. It's the very little I know about her. <laughs> that is a, one of the wildest things I've ever heard. That's insane. I'm sure some listeners are hoping I'll report on how the tower was sold by conman Vista Lustig, but I want to dedicate a full report or at least a patron to him one day. So the people, there's a few people that have requested that when I searched Eiffel okay. Tower. Just know that that report is coming one day, oh, but cool. it's a pretty cool story. But I didn't want to burn sizzle. it here. Yeah, great. Okay. Because it's already quite a long story on its own. But in 1967, uh, Charles de Gaulle, the then president of France, proposed temporarily dismantling the tower and sending it to Montreal for Expo 67. Thankfully, Whoa. that plan was rejected. That seems like a bad idea. That's yeah. a cr- it's your biggest tourist attraction. That seems like a, a... Let's give it to another city for a bit. It's real strange. Why would you choose to do that? Well, yeah. I guess they didn't. Uh, the lady who fell is not the only one who found love at the tower. In 2007, Erica Eiffel married the tower. Which I'm oh. sure you've heard people talk yeah. about someone married the Eiffel Tower. She changed her name to Erica Eiffel. She first encountered it in 2004 and felt an immediate attraction. Surely Erica Tower. <laughs> if you're going to take his... Yeah. I know. Yeah. And you all... Yeah. Well, I don't know. 
she's an American. Is it just because it's a bit phallic? Well, oh. no, she's been in love with many things over the years. She's an American competitive archer. She's like a world-class archer or has been in the 2000s and an advocate for object sexuality. She'd previously been in a 20-year relationship with the Berlin Wall. And what happened? Well, people grow apart. <laughs> it all came tumbling down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. You are fucking killing it that today, honestly. Stuff. According to an article from Vice, which I'll link to with all the other references in the episode, in addition to holding a commitment ceremony with her 186-year-old French Iron Tower at the time... <laughs> <laughs> But it's not about, you know, age is just a number. Yeah. You know. <laughs> She's fallen for fighter jets and is currently uh, fencing. I, I imagine that means like a fence. And she's currently in a relationship with a crane. Oh, Dr. Fraser Crane? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she told Vice in this article, quote, I understand that people are going get, to get visuals in their head and they're going to have questions about sex. When you see a building and a person, you have questions. Like when you see a very tall person and a very short person together, you wonder how the mechanics work. Not the same thing. <laughs> but you I know I never think that. <laughs> I do. Do you, you see like, couples and you picture them fucking? Of course. <laughs> if they're like, if they, uh, he's got to be like seven foot tall and she is about three foot tall, and okay. then I'm like, wow. I mean, yeah, right. It's got to be a big difference. Or other way around. But to finish, <laughs> to finish her quote here. But you wouldn't go up to those people and ask, how do you do it when you're so tall and she's so short? The fact that people ask us those questions just shows how little they respect us. She's talking about herself in the building. No, I think people respect the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so conflicted here because I don't want to shame anyone. No, don't yuck the yum or yeah. whatever it, yeah. That's what you want to do. That's cool. I don't think we're... Are we shaming? No, not shaming her, but it's just funny to compare the tall and short totally. thing to her in a tower. That's so That's funny. the funny part for But me. it is also a wild idea to me. And yeah. I am probably shaming her a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. But I don't want to. No, but it's fascinating. But also, I, can she yeah. not just talk... Imagine her just trying to have a conversation with a person. It must be so hard. And But also, like, how, how do you think you've... You've, how can you be in a relationship with something that can't talk to you and can't consent to that relationship? <laughs> and also, but it's like it's a, <laughs> oh god, it's, it's only one way street. Yeah, it's a it's such a publicly owned thing. Like, how do you get to go? I want you know yeah, this that's worldwide mine now. famous thing. Also, it's way older than she is. You're like... actually visiting my boyfriend right now, <laughs> or my girlfriend. Yeah. Do you mind not taking pictures of my boyfriend? Yeah. Would you mind if someone else married it? Like, am I free to marry it too? I guess because you did gender it, you gave the Eiffel Tower, a, you called it a, a woman. Before. People do refer to it as a she. Like a ship. They're I wonder, all chicks. <laughs> I wonder if she sees uh, objects as having a gender. Yeah, good there. point. Because, I mean, why would they? It's weird that we <laughs> we do that. Yeah, that's true. She needs a coat of paint. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, you've taken us to an interesting place. Yeah, I think it is fascinating. Uh, Two more fun facts here if you think they're still fun. Uh, During the cold, the tower shrinks around six inches. Huh? Huh? Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) No. In height. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you get real cold, you really really shrink. Six inches? Yeah, I guess that's quite a small... Yeah, and apparently it also sways in the wind, but it's designed to Or it to shrinks so. to six inches. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Oh, how cold. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be standing above it when it gets hot. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were married to it, I guess. Then maybe 
Well, maybe that's maybe that would be you get there duck. on a very cold day and you pour hot water <laughs> yeah. on it. Woo! <laughs> Only you, on your anniversary. You died literally doing what you love. <laughs> Uh, since opening, over 250 million people have visited the Eiffel Tower. Whoa. Today, it is the most paid monument in the world, as we started with 6.91. Nearly 7 million people ascended it in 2015. Is that true? I wonder how many people like me stood near it. it must be millions more, because I also didn't go up when I saw it. I admired from afar. Oh, I did. Actually, no, I went very close. I went underneath. I walked underneath and everything. Yeah, I went all around, in and around it, but not up it. <laughs> what was it like? Was the Was the view worth it? I went to the first... Level <laughs> where where the flying tailor was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did I didn't, you know that at the time? I did not know. I had a ticket to go all the way to the top, and then I got to that level, and I was like, "This is high enough." Yeah, right. So you really, you um, feel out amongst the elements, sort of. Oh yeah, and you like the view's incredible, and it was it was awesome, but it was scary. Right. And now reading this, I want to I want to go back, and I want to go up. I'm going to make sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. When we go over there, I'll. I'll come up with it as well. We'll do a prison. If we ever get back to the UK and Ireland, maybe we should do... That's so close. So close. So close. We should I'd love to. Get over to Paris, visit Joseph. Hmm. Get Are there, They're the uh, final fun facts, but I just want to end. Finally, the namesake of the tower, Gustave Eiffel, died in 1923, so he did see it become a massive success. Great. Oh, that's he, awesome. Because he lived to be 91. Wow. That means he overla- his life overlapped with my two of my grandparents. That's cool. Wow. Then live at the same time, he died whilst listening to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Oh, that's... On the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, which is one of the top five selling albums of all time, there's like a, a disco version of that. <laughs> banana, 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 and that was the version he was banana, listening to. Can you believe it? <laughs> Crazy. He, he died from a Saturday Night Fever. Did I mention that? <laughs> <laughs> There's no cure for that. Um, the other co-designer, Emile Nougier, died much earlier in 1897, 57 years old. Ah, the year the VFL commenced. But thank God he saw that. But Maurice Cochelin, who drew the first design ever, the image that I'll post, outlived uh, Gustave and died in 1946 at the age of 89. Wow. In Switzerland in a house that he'd built by himself. Oh, cool. Yeah, 1900. But he, so he lived old enough to see the tower taken over by the Nazis and then reclaimed by the French, wow. which is just in time. Yeah, wow. Because they got it back in late 44. But that is the end of my report on the Eiffel Tower. Great report. Thank you very much, and thanks to uh, Tom from England for suggesting it, because Dave said it. And also Odie. Odie Matthews for mentioning the uh, the flying tailor. Which if, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. A little, you almost, you were tempted to do three reports in one. I could see it. Yeah, because if I do that, Victor Lustig, the con man, that's, that's going to be a cool story. You reckon that, that could be its own story? Yeah, at it. least, or at least a mini Patreon bonus. Oh, yeah, awesome. Oh, awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing that. Don't forget to do it. You can't sizzle like that and not come through. You can't. Dave, you can't. All right, I'll do it. Can we play that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the time for everyone's favourite section of the show. It is the fact, quote, or question section of the show. Just, I think the, does, what does the jingle go like? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, damn it. I think it's something like, uh, in Jess's voice, fact, quote, or question, <laughs> ding. And then Dave says ding. Fantastic, but that was a little bit early too. Why do they always forget Fuck. the ding? Uh <laughs> 
So this week, uh, it is a, a great man named Tian and Ennis. And the way you get involved in the fat quota question, I should say, is by supporting us at patreon.com. In particular, on the Sydney Schoenberg Deluxe Memorial Package level, and on that level, you get to give us a factor quote or a question, as well as voting in two of, of every three topics. And and can I just say, this level is the one that voted for the, my topic today. And the difference between first and second was yet again one vote. Yeah, right. One vote. So... Because it's, it's, a, it's a much smaller Patreon yes, level. it's a smaller pool because it is the, uh, the VIP section, shall we say. So if you want to dictate how the show goes, either some people didn't vote or... Join and you can change the show basically. Yeah. And as well as that, you also get the two bonus episodes per month, uh, which and we recorded a really fun one earlier tonight, which is probably already gone out. Which was a uh, it was all about the country of Spain, and it was a new. <laughs> it was basically a pilot episode for a new show that I might be starting because I don't have enough of them. And <laughs> uh, anyway, so Tian and Ennis, uh, who's given himself the title because that's something else you have to do on this level. He's given himself the title of that Irish gobshite. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a term we talked about a bit when we were in Ireland. I think our taxi driver taught us that. Yeah, that's right. That man taught us a lot. <laughs> and Tim Not had... as much as our first taxi driver who took us to where his wife was born. Yes, <laughs> that was very... <laughs> is that normal Dublin sort of hospitality? I Especially wonder? after getting off a 22-hour flight and uh, we were on the way to the hotel, but he still had time to take us on the way to where his wife was born. It was an exciting journey. Uh, so <laughs> Tiernan has asked the question... Um, have you ever had a friend or family member taken back, in case we didn't get that, he's put in brackets, surprised, when you tell them how popular this podcast is <laughs> with live shows across Australia, two UK tours, and Thailand and Ireland? Okay, well, I have a, I don't think I've talked about this on the show yet. Sadly, my grandfather passed away about two months ago now. Mm-hmm. Well, all, all good, good things, things must come to an end. Yes, he lived a very long, full life, very accomplished Dental specialist, and it was amazing at the funeral them reading out all his achievements as a, a dentist. <laughs> it was honestly part of like 30 different boards, all this kind of stuff. Wow. So that was just professionally inspiring. But then afterwards, uh, we went and had the wake at a local place ne- near the funeral parlor, and uh, we're all dressed in suits or whatever. And uh, as I'm ordering a beer, a lady asked me, Oh, do you host the Duga Hon podcast? I said, yeah. She's like, I recognize your voice. And my (laughs) uncle was standing next to me who doesn't know too much about the show. And he just thought it was the funniest thing (laughs) that I could do a podcast that he doesn't fully understand what that is. Was he taken aback? He was taken (laughs) aback. Bracket surprised. Couldn't wait to get back to the the table to tell everyone else that I'd just been recognized in grandpa's way. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So, yeah. And she didn't you pose for a photo with her? Yeah, she, oh, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten your name. Um, you're very, very lovely. Did nice she know you were at a wake? I don't think so. She just worked there and we were just there in suits. So maybe she it's just thinks so. It's your grandfather's wake. And I'm in, in like and formal you're work. you're posing for photos. <laughs> you're posing for photos My, at a wake. Feds, you fuck. <laughs> My uncle was absolutely what, pissed. It was what dying. grandpapa would have wanted. Uh, exactly. My uncle thought it was so funny. Uh, so, yeah, he was taken aback by that because I, I was taken aback to be honest. I didn't expect it. <laughs> the last place you expect. Yeah. And we don't get recognised that often. God, so. no. No, no, no. No. I, can't, I don't remember anyone being – I'm not sure. I'm sure there'd be a lot of people who'd be um, confused by it if they thought about it at all. It's not but. the most conventional job. So when people are kind of like, is he still doing that um, that little thing on the <laughs> uh, podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we just did a tour of the UK and they're like, 
I get that from from extended family a lot. Yeah, right. They're very confused by what I do. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, because I mean, you, yeah, you work very hard, Jess. Thank you. Uh, and your, I've got so little, little to show for it. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember any specific examples. So I'm so grateful that you had that great story. Dave. Yeah, I, I mean, I probably would never want to mention it otherwise, but it's just because oh, it you feel like a wanker talking about being recognised, but because it so rarely happens. But it was just so funny and fits that so well. My uncle just laughing along. <laughs> he took the photo as well. He, he was laughing. I was like, that's right. He was laughing. While I was taking the photo. That's the best. I I think I told you about this when I was in Adelaide Fringe a couple of years ago. I was in the bar of my venue and um, someone recognised me from the podcast. They said, you're not Matt from Do Go On, are you? I said, I am. And they're like, what are you doing in town? (laughs) Like, oh, I'm doing my show here at the Fringe Festival. She's like, really? She's like, oh, you should mention that on the show. I'm like, I think I have every week for the last probably two months, but... I think she skips the intros. So. <laughs> That's amazing. That wasn't the year that we had just done a show, was it? Because no, that would have been even better. That, yeah. She missed out on seeing us. That would be so funny. She be was so good. she was taken aback. No, I, yeah, I don't I don't recall anyone really being taken aback. Was just, everyone in your family as chilled as you? Uh on some level I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, huh, cool. Anyway, uh want a sausage? <laughs> well, a few of my, my folks came to a show, I think. Yeah. And uh, my sister's coming out one before. My dad's my biggest supporter in everything I do. And um, he's currently on a tour of uh, Egypt. And he rings me the other day. And... Did uh, some, someone leave him some money? Yeah, that's right. He's on a tour of Egypt and he calls me up the other day and says, Oh, I've got you, got you a new listener over here. I was talking to a young guy on the trip about your age. And he uh, says he's into history. I said, Oh, you should check out my son's podcast. And then he goes, Oh, he's here now. I'll put him on. <laughs> And then I was talking to the guy. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. Listen to your show. It's pretty fun. Gave me a couple of suggestions for episode Oh, topics. my God. Yeah. So I'll look out, we'll look out for a, a new download in Egypt over the, on the stats. My dad got talking to the neighbor across the road who said his daughter was doing a podcast. And my dad's like, yeah, my daughter does a podcast as well. And this guy's like, well, everyone does podcasts and whatever. And they're talking a bit more. And he goes, and the neighbor goes, yeah, I really like the Little Dum Dum Club. And my dad's like, do you now? Because, <laughs> uh... Jess was just over in Thailand with him, and he was like, "Wait, that podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> My dad's like, "Yeah, that's right." <laughs> uh, proud daddies, proud dads. <laughs> My dad. One time, I did a show years ago on community TV, and Dad um, watched it. And afterwards, he said, "Oh, it was interesting." <laughs> <laughs> that's good, Dad. Feedback. He, he said he liked he liked a bit that was so close to the end of the episode. <laughs> He said, I liked your interview with, it was, I think you liked the interview with Damien Cow, the yeah. Tism singer. And I'm like, oh, that was like 40 minutes into the show. <laughs> <laughs> Did not get it. Anyway. <laughs> loved, uh, loved the credits. Great supporters, yeah. our dads. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Tiernan, for your Thanks, ongoing Tiernan. support. He's, uh, it was very helpful, especially the first time we are over in, in uh, uh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. Let's try to come um, over. Really, I don't think we really got to talk to him. I got, I maybe I very briefly saw him in the line. In the line out the front, that's right. We were. But he had to rush off because we were we were our show was on a school night last time. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Tinan, you goddamn legend. I'd also love to thank uh, Johanna's O Wall. What does an umlaut do on a capital O or any oh, O? I'm, I it stretches confused. out, right? Sorry, Johanna. I'm, I'm going to say Johanna's O Wall. 
who's given himself the title of accounting consultant. Jess, you'd be pleased by that? Very disappointed in that. <laughs> and Johannes has given us a quote. He writes, Hi, gang. One of my favorite movie quotes is from the movie Airplane. Oh, I love Airplane, which is called Flying High here, right? Yeah, that's, that's the same movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder why that... It was called Airplane. Airplane in, in America. I airplane. Made... Airplane. That's how they say Airplane. I think. Airplane. I think so. Yeah, airplane, Hyundai. It's weird. <laughs> Oregano. <laughs> I love how they talk. Please let us into your country. Come on. We want to come and hear you say these words come silly on. in front of us. Say it to our face. You can say them silly to us and then we'll say our silly back to you. Oregano. <laughs> Oregano. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Adidas. That's going to be great. Yeah, what do we say? Adidas. No. Yes. Edelweiss. Edelweiss. Uh, so anyway, he says... One of his favorite movie quotes is from the movie Airplane. And the quote is, surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> it's a great, That's great. It's a great quote. It's a good bit. Uh, it's funny. I know so many quotes in that film. I don't know if I've ever seen it start to finish. Yeah, totally. Oh, right. I would have seen it a few times, but not for a long time. So good. Yeah, so many Leslie silly Leslie Nielsen's moments. in it, but he's not, he's, it's, he was not the main man, is he? Jeez, it's been a while. Fuck, he's very funny, Leslie. Um, we should all watch it. Johannes, thank you so much for your support. And yes, I am serious. Really? Um, a punkin, like, pum, pumpkin. A punkin. Oh my God. Pun king like you, Dave, should really watch a movie like that. Uh, Johannes goes on to say, thanks for the laughs and keep up the good work. Best regards, Johannes Uwell. <laughs> P.S. A little pointer since you had some troubles with my name last oh time. My oh, God. great. Oh, my God. <laughs> this this oh. is proving that Matt never pre-reads these. The first letter is my last name, bracket the O with the with the dots, is pronounced like a U in the word burn. Uh, <laughs> Johannes Erwall. Oh, that sounds better. Is that right? Johann- Johannes Erwall. Good job. Thank, Thank you, Johannes. Sorry. You might need to give me further tips for next time. I love that he would have been hearing that back before you got <laughs> to that bit going, oh, he's done it again. <laughs> he's done the exact same thing. I spelled it read, out for him. Read to the end, please. Uh, we also like to thank a few other Patreons who've been supporting us for a while. Uh and normally Jess comes up with a bit of a game to do this. Jess, do you have any ideas for tonight? Uh, structures or buildings that they will marry. Oh, yes. <laughs> like our friend Erica. Oh, well, I wonder if I should, because I have a structure that I'd like to marry. Do I, should I give someone else that? That luxury? That honour? I don't mm. know. Matt, would you give away your spouse <laughs> to someone else? Well, it's, hmm? hard to, it's hard to know. Gotta have a spouse to give one away, and I have not yet married. I've not yet met the building that I want to spend the rest <laughs> it's of my life. building of your dreams. I'm still renting, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, oh, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> edit all that out. Um, <laughs> if I could kick it off, I'd love to thank from Airdrie in North Lan- Lanarkshire in Great Britain, Scott Duke, the Duke. Scott Duke. Scott Duke. Okay, structures. Think of structures, Jess. Oh, come on, Jess. Come on. You know, name Mount it. Rushmore. Oh, that is a good one. You get four for the price of one. Yeah, and Mount's already in the name. <laughs> what do you plan to do this, Mount? I think you know. <laughs> I think you know. That's great. Scott, I hope you're happy with that. That's I mean, great. It's a bit of a long-distance relationship for you uh, in Lanarkshire, North Lanarkshire, but I reckon, yeah, 
you know, for those four great guys. Who's on there? You've got George uh, Washington, Andrew Dice Clay, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, and Roosevelt, a man, and Thomas Jefferson, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, it's his name. You legally changed it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Scott Duke. Enjoy that. I have a weird fascination with Mount Rushmore. I want to go there very badly. I'd Do love you? to hear that as a story. That maybe that's a bonus episode type thing. I yeah. want to go to Dollywood. So you know, we've all got different we've goals. Got, yeah. All got things. I'd, yeah, where do I want to go? You just want to go to America. I really want to let you in. Go, let I, us in. I've been there as a as a tourist and I had a great time. I'd love to go back. We'd love to perform our little show there for a few people. A little dog and pony show. Um, thank you so much, Scott. I'd also love to thank from Brooklyn, New York. <gasps> where New we want to go. Where we want to go. Love to thank Alex Mark Bayer. Alex Mark Bayer is married to Centerpoint Tower in Sydney. <laughs> Oh, what's that? Is that our Space Needle? Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, it's it's also called now. It's just called Sydney Tower or something like that. It's, mm. it's but also, it's basically the Seattle. Space yeah, similar to that. Looking, yeah, and it has a rotating restaurant. There's an observation deck. There's, Have I made that up? The rotating I don't restaurant. Know if it's got maybe it's got the it, now it has a Westfield logo. <laughs> Great, uh, yes. which is a shopping center for you, Alex. Check it out. You get to shop whilst you mount. So many famous cool buildings in his city, and you've given him. The needle in Sydney. May yeah. I please thank? Sorry about that, Scott. Can yeah, I thank some people please, too? Please, can you? Um, thank you again to Alex. I would like to thank from Perth, Western Australia. Oh, fantastic. Isaac Kingy. Oh, the king. Oh, the kingy. The kingy. Kingy. Love kingy. that. All right. I think Al. Uh, Alec, uh, <laughs> oh, <it's> Isaac. <laughs> I think Isaac is going to have a commitment ceremony with the Southland Shopping Centre in Cheltenham, Melbourne, Victoria. <laughs> what a landmark. What a Kingy. landmark. It's got a well, – because this was my local shopping centre as a kid and uh, it used to be quite a lot smaller. They ended up buying property on the other side of the Nepean Highway. And they, it blew my mind. And it still blows my mind they were allowed to do it. They built a bridge with shop service. So they bought the air. Somehow they've got the air above Nepean Highway. How do you own that? That's crazy. You know, do you know what? Do you know that place? I know all? what you're talking about now. Actually, yeah, yeah. I've never thought about that. That's how that weird. Is, how do weird. you, how, did, how was that allowed to happen? But anyway, uh, great spot where I used <laughs> to go to see movies as a kid. And uh, yeah. You know, I had a lot of great times there. So I'm sure Isaac will have some great times I'm, there too. You know what I mean? I might, uh, I might, if if you'll have me, Isaac, I'd love to walk Southland down the aisle. <laughs> it was just for the nostalgia. Yeah. So um, let us know, Isaac. I'd also love to thank uh, from Cheshire, Great Britain. I'd love to thank Aaron Kelly. Aaron thank Kelly. Karen. All right. What about the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Oh, jeez, you got lucky. Aaron. You could do a few poses if you know what I mean. Yeah. If you go there, because I've only been there once, but there is constantly people posing as if they're pushing or holding up the tower. Has anyone ever um, posed like they're humping it? Oh, you better believe I yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> do you pose like it was your dick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Classic. And it was leaning. <laughs> classic. Check out my leaning dick. <laughs> classic. Yeah. Oh, that's it. You've, you've lucked out there, Aaron. I think that's probably the most iconic one so far. Good on you. No, I mean, we can top it. All right, here we go. Okay. All right. I would like to thank a couple of peeps now. I'd like to thank from uh, Mystery Location. Ooh. We were not trusted with this person's address. Fair enough. We would have turned up. 
Absolutely. We're very rude. We always turn up for our big supporter, which is Tess Ornstein. Tess Ornstein. Or Tess Ornstein, just in case. Fantastic name, Tess Ornstein. Lady Liberty herself. Oh, oh yes. She's no. got the, the Lady Liberty. She's got Lady Liberty, wow. baby. Sweet land of Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty. You said Labia Liberty. <laughs> well, Did I mean. You, Dave? No, Dave. Is, Dave. That, is that a pun? <laughs> I don't. You're I the don't one know. who normally judges those. Uh, thank you so much to Tess Ornstein, Lady Liberty. Maybe you're that's welcome. her mystery address because you probably don't. If you live there, you can't have an address. Uh, Liberty Island. Yeah, one Liberty Bell. <laughs> um, Two Liberty Bells. I would also like to thank now from Otago, New Zealand. Yes. Is it just Otago? Mm, sure. Otago sounds right. Otago, I think. I mean, that sounds right, but then it sounds like I'm making it too American sounding. Oh. I'd like to thank, because I, ex- I was expecting it to be like an American thing, but it's from New Zealand. That is Annie Throp. Oh, yes. Oh. Such a good name, Annie Throp. You sound like a real character. And that is why you're married to the, the what was it called? The Magic Wishing Tree from Eden Blyton's Eden classic Ned. book. <laughs> The Did mag- I say any of the, uh, No, it's the magic faraway tree, okay. and it's Enid Blyton. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say any of those words? Eden. I said tree, right? Is it tree, right? <laughs> it's a magic wishing tree. <sighs> Eden Blyton. <laughs> Annie Throp, that's you, the magic faraway tree. That's, you'd love to be married to that. It's magical. Yeah. I loved those Moonface is in there, mm. I think, and others. I don't remember much about Ex- it. Et cetera. Yeah. There might have been a wishing tree in amongst there as well, but it's a faraway tree. Right. I've merged a few things in there. Maybe. Uh, but that's I think that's maybe now you're winning Annie Throp. I love Eden. What a great name, Eden Annie Blyton. <laughs> Enid Blyton. Is that right? What a, that is, I mean, in my defense, what a name. Yeah. Enid. Enid Blyton. Everything about that is wild and fantastic. Pretty great. All right, one more time. A big thanks to Scott, Alex, Isaac, Aaron, Tess, and Annie. Keep fighting the good fight. So good. I'm keeping hanging out with those buildings. Rialto Towers. uh, Just keeping that one for myself. (laughs) Dave, while I go back and just double check if anyone needs to be led into our VIP area, are there any other? Have we done any other buildings? I was thinking we've done Disneyland, which is sort of like a park thing. We did. We did the Empire State Building on the mm-hmm. Patreon bonus episode. So is this our first proper building episode? First proper building. And there may be one coming up on our web series. Oh, that's right. A building yeah, of sorts. Landmark. And Jess, did you have, you've never done the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Oh, I've done it. But not as a report. <laughs> okay. Say no more. <laughs> we found your secret love. <laughs> so what day is it today? What day is this episode coming out, Dave? It is Christmas out? Day. <laughs> This Wednesday, Wednesday, the 11th of February. I mean, March. 11th Feb. Okay. March. No, March. <laughs> okay. Well. That changes even, everything. Even better again. Well, that means we've got four people into the luxury lounge, uh, a.k.a. the Triptych Club. Yeah. Uh, Jess, what are, the, what, are they, what are the canapes serving today? Uh, today we've got a bite-sized mini bruschetta. <laughs> Uh, oh, love it. Love um, when you've put into the, the accent when saying words like that. Thank love you. That. We also have spinach and ricotta <laughs> pastry. 
<laughs> and, Just say it. And <laughs> say ricotta. Oh, come on. And also little uh, mini burgers. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the kind of service you get in here. You'll get a little bit of pretense. Yes. Not uh, too much, but just, just enough. A, uh, just a wafer thin. Just a little bit. So I'd love to welcome in from Apple Valley in America, maybe in Minnesota, MN, Noel Laguerre. Noel Laguerre. Oh, so good to have you in it, Noel. Laguerre. Uh, we're also from Cambridge in Great Britain, Stephen Bat. Stephen Bat. From San Antonio, Texas in the United States of America, it's Christina Bailey. Christina Bailey. CB. And finally KB. from... Fucking oh, what is it? It is KB, yes. Oh, well done. I can't see it written down in front of me, so I was just having a punt. Either can just... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm impressed. I just pay attention. And finally from <laughs> London in Great Britain, Gurav Kumar. Ah, oh, CB. That's who I meant. <laughs> You were hoping for a CB. It's really hoping. <laughs> oh, I'll take Kura. I'll take goalkeeper. Thank you so much. Uh, so thank you so much uh, to you all for your long term support. It um, it really it kept, what do they say? It keeps the lights on here at Do Go On headquarters. And thanks to all our Patreon supporters. We appreciate it so much. That does bring us to the end of this episode. I've really enjoyed this one. Learning about the Eiffel Tower. I love that you've sort of opened up a whole new genre of topics we can do. Yeah, yeah. I was actually looking at the previous ones we've done in the last few weeks and thought, oh, we really had some varied topics lately. What's something that we can keep going that's, you know, mm. a different type of topic? So if you have a suggestion for something that we have only done a couple of times or maybe a topic we've never done before um, or kind of topic, you can always suggest one in the link of the episode. There's a little thing you can click there or go to dogoonpod.com and you don't have to be a Patreon supporter if you want to suggest an episode. Yes, anyone can do it. It's uh, it's there. It's an open um, form that you can fill out. If, that's, if I'm saying that right. Enid Blyton. Form. It's really, it's really th- <laughs> thrown me. <laughs> uh, so follow us if you want to on social medias at Do Go On Pod, and that's across all social medias, including at gmail.com if you want to email us, or our website, dogoonpod.com, and that's probably the best place to find about any uh, upcoming live shows. If you're listening to us when this is coming out, we're doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival coming up, but we're we're quietly in talks for getting around Australia and, and hopefully uh, internationally a little bit later this year as well. So keep your eyes peeled on there if you're listening to this down the track. We might be coming near you. There's also merchandise. There's merchandise. <laughs> Are you laughing coming near you? <laughs> and he heard it. He heard it and he hoped no one noticed, but I was already looking at him going, oh, no. But if you are lucky, we might be coming near you. <laughs> oh, we got pretty bad aim over here. <laughs> uh, do go on pod.com is also we can buy a couple of T-shirts or a pin badge. Oh, that's right, yeah. There's, I think, three different T-shirt designs at the moment. There's just yeah. the last little handful of one. That's so right. someone bought the original one recently as a present and um, – I was thinking, oh, geez, that must be one of the last very few of those. Yeah, it might have been the last one. Oh, right. So cool. there's only, um, yeah, maybe only a couple left of our original design and then we've got two more designs up there as well and a pin. Um, and, yeah, it's great. Yes, get involved. All right, well, until next week, as we always say here, look after each other and yourselves. Goodbye. Later. Bye. Never say that again. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. 
it's, it's up to you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.